Let's pray once more. Father, it truly is such a joy to assemble in your name. Such a privilege to open your word. And we come with open hearts, desiring to hear your truth, that it may change us, fill us up, give us direction, edify us. May your will be done here today, Father, by your Holy Spirit coming and leading us to truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we are now to the last chapter of James, James chapter 5. It's uh, It begins with a stern warning. And uh, some argue whether it's a warning to believers or not. I think if you just let the Word say what the Word says, it's fairly clear. Uh, The end of the previous chapter was all about boasting in what our plans are without considering what the Lord's plans might be. (laughs) And uh, such arrogance that we would say, I'm going to do this or that without recognizing the Lord's sovereignty, God's sovereignty in every breath that we have. Every breath. So James chapter 5, verse 1. Let's... uh, Fraser's upstairs this morning, and uh, let's go to NIV, please, sir, if you can. And I'm just going to go ahead and read through part of the chapter. I'm not sure of all of it. Now listen, you rich people. (laughs) It doesn't say you rich believing people. That's where some of the confusion comes in. You rich people, weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. Your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, the wages you failed to pay, the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. (laughs) You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. By the way, you don't want to be the fat cow in the day of slaughter. (laughs) Just pointing that out. You have condemned and murdered the innocent one who was not opposing you. That was kind of the end of the warning to those rich people. Be patient then, brothers and sisters. Did this quit? No. Until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You too be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Might be listening. <laughs> just, just saying. 
Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. You got verse 12? Above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear, not by heaven or by earth or by anything else. All you need to say is a simple yes or no, otherwise you will be condemned. Does that sound familiar? Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well and the Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed and the heaven gave rain and the earth produced its crops. My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. Interesting way to end the chapter. The letter. That's the end of the letter. Like, he didn't say bye. He didn't say, he didn't say, say hi to so-and-so or anything. It's like, because this is to the dispersion of, of the church, right? All over the place. And so he wasn't directing it to any particular person or or place. And he just wraps it up with such an important message of going after those who have wandered away. There's a few of those around. There are a few. Let's go back to the beginning. I'll move to the NIT now. Uh, Come now, you rich, weep and cry aloud over the miseries that are coming on you. Your riches have rotted and your clothing has become moth-eaten. Talks about gold and silver corroding. Who is it that you normally see seeking a Savior? Is it someone in desperate need? The ones that seek a Savior. You know, like come in the door and say, I need some help. It's the one that is brought low and in a desperate state. That's normally the case. You don't normally see a highly successful wealthy man or woman walk in and say, I need Jesus. That's the warning. They have... What, what are we told about our treasure? Where should our treasure be? 
Store up your treasure in heaven, not on earth, where it rots. It doesn't say you shouldn't have treasure, but it shouldn't be your God and all that you go after. And this isn't just talking about just extremely wealthy people necessarily. I've said before, everybody in this room is wealthy compared to somebody on earth. <laughs> you know, there's a lot of people that have zero, absolutely zero, no home, no place, no food, no water because of famine, drought, whatever in places of the world. And the least among us, the least wealthy among us is highly wealthy relative to them. We ought to always take these warnings, check to see how it applies to us, even if we think we're not part of that group. Let it speak, because it does need to speak. Every word in this book, every word of God, is valuable and useful for edification. Useful. Every word. Even though you think, I'm not one of the rich. Well, how about if you just consider, relatively speaking, yes, you are. And are you storing up wealth somewhere that you shouldn't be storing it up? Depending on it and, and making it your God. That's his warning. By the way, where did that uh, do not accumulate for yourselves treasures on earth? Where does that come from? We just studied it a few months ago. Sermon on the Mount. You'll see here evidence in this chapter. Maybe James was there. Even though he didn't believe in his brother, his half-brother, as the Messiah until the resurrection, maybe he was at the Sermon on the Mount and heard all this stuff, or whatever, whatever the case is, the Holy Spirit has prompted him to write the same thing again as Jesus preached. Several places. Pretty amazing. The guy who didn't believe him in the first place. Verse 4, look, the pay you have held back from workers who mowed your fields cries out against you. And cries of the reapers have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. What does that, that phrase, that name of God indicate, the Lord of hosts? That indicates to me the guy that brings war. <laughs> You know, when it talks about the Lord of hosts, I consider the army of angels that he leads. The Lord of hosts, our protector. So when the cries reach that Lord of hosts' ears, I wouldn't want to be the one being cried about. Cried out because of my unfairness or my cheating or my self-importance. Because he's talking about not paying the people to work for you. Eric was just talking this morning about this crazy mess of having to apply for the job that he already had at Key and, and how they, these companies, not just Key, but companies in general, even the school district here, have shown me over and over the years that they use up people. That is not how we should be as Christians in the workplace, in the corporation, in our homes, whatever. If we hire a guy to mow the yard or we hire, a, because we're a CEO, we hire a man to install a new, you know, go, go oversee the installation of a new office building. It doesn't matter what the level is. We ought to have the integrity to say, I'm going to pay you this and, I'll, and you pay that on time and you benefit the people that benefit you. 
I'm not sure what the adage was you referred to this morning, but what it caused me to think was, you know, talking about paying you what you're worth or being worth what you paid. Which, which way is it, you know? If you don't get paid much and you're just worth what you're paid, you're at fault too. I remember when the school district changed their method of uh, maintaining the building with custodians. My mother had been a custodian for like 20 years for the school. Part of the time she did cafeteria work and then she also ran the laundry and then she's custodian for the last part of her time there. And the custodians that were, you know, actually school employees, not contracted like they are now, the night crew and whatever, those custodians were treated like you're a school employee. You get these great benefits. You get really pretty good wages. You get TRS, you know, retirement system, which is a big deal. It's a big deal. But they wanted to save money. The district wanted to save money, so they quit doing that. They just went down to a skeleton crew during the day just to have somebody there in case somebody made a mess in the hall, whatever. And they contracted for people to come in at night and clean at night. Those people get paid just enough to get them to come to work. Just enough. What I consider that is almost like slave labor. Just enough to get you to come to work because you've got no other choice because of your level of education or whatever, and we're just going to save money and just use you up. This is what he's talking about. It's the way our world operates. Our economy operates that way. And it's a sad state of affairs. It is not the Christian way of doing things. In verse 5, you have lived indulgently and luxuriously on the earth. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You heard my comment a while ago. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person, although he does not resist you. Now that gets pretty severe. Condemned and murdered the righteous person. Uh, Even if someone hasn't taken a gun and killed someone with this, you know, love of riches, operating in that realm of not paying the things you owe and treating people so poorly can end up ending someone's life. I think that may be something it's referring to. Let me ask you this. Just, just look at what goes on in our economy, in our society. Um, who is one of the wealthiest men around Maybe I shouldn't even ask it because there's lots of wealthy men to get uh, hacked. <laughs> you know, just just consider here in the last few years what you've heard about Amazon. The founder of Amazon, CEO, is one of the richest men men on earth, if not the richest. I don't know if he is the richest now. Very, very, very wealthy man. And the people that are on the bottom of the pay scale in his company feel like they are paid far less than they're worth, demanding far more of their lives than they ought to be willing to give. 
I don't know the whole story. I really don't know, except I do know people many times say, what have you done for me lately, even though you've done something really good for me previously? You know, like you gave me a job, but how about a raise? You know, and I don't know. I don't know the whole story. But I do know there's grumbling and murmuring at the low levels of Amazon. And he is one of the richest men on earth. That seems weird to me. There's another example long ago, over a century ago, Milton Hershey. You all know Hershey. We all like Hershey. <laughs> At least I do. I think if you say you don't, I doubt you're, in, you're, you're telling the truth. But some people don't like chocolate. He makes other stuff, or he did. He actually started with caramel. Did you know that? Before he had chocolate. He built Hershey, Pennsylvania. He built the town. He hired people, put them to work doing, doing this job of making milk, chocolate, candy bars. Sounds like such a mundane thing. It had not happened before. Okay? He was like cutting edge in the candy business. And he paid his workers well. He, he built things in the town itself, parks and, and facilities, made it a great place to live. But he was also like really over them, you know, watching everything. He had walked to the factory and looked over their shoulder. He was, he was right on top of everything. And a lot of people didn't like him. But he provided, even in the midst of the Depression, he didn't lay anybody off. When they lost candy business and weren't selling enough candy, he took people from the factory and put them to work building stuff in the town to keep them busy. Now, I'm not saying he's perfect, but I'm saying that's the kind of guy he was. And what did they do? In the middle of the Depression, some of them went on strike. Half the country's out of work, and they go on strike because they want to raise. Okay, maybe they had good reason. But, man, isn't there a two-sided thing to this? The rich can oppress and do evil things. But from the other side, when we work and are blessed by it, we ought to acknowledge that. Everything, every provision, acknowledge that it comes from God through a man or through a woman or whatever, but acknowledge God as your provider and uh, just don't grumble. Hosea 13.6 says, When they were fed, they became satisfied. When they were satisfied, they became proud. As a result, they forgot me. That's what God said. They were, head by, they were fed by the hand of God to satisfaction, and then they forgot who fed them. Wow. Surely we would never do that. How often do I say that in the midst of these teachings? Let's go to verse 7. Okay, so he's talking about all this stuff going on with these rich people doing evil things. So be patient, brothers and sisters. (laughs) Don't you love it when somebody says, just be patient? No, we don't like it when people say that. We don't like it. Until the Lord's return. 
okay, back then, there's like, maybe next week, <laughs> you know. In the first century, they're thinking, it'll be soon. Surely he's not going to wait long. It's really funny. I was reading again, Matthew Henry was reading, and he's, he's talking about this section, and he says, yet that's 1,700 years ago, because that's when he lived, <laughs> in the 1700s. Okay? I thought, that's funny. Now we're saying it's 2,000 years ago. But the Lord's still coming. And he says, be patient until he does. I say many times over the years, it is, it is very, very likely that all of us in this room are going to meet the Lord on the day of our passing rather than on the day of his coming back. Very likely. But either way, we're going to meet the Lord. One way or the other. So be patient. Think of how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the ground and is patient for it until it receives the early and late rains. Does it, would it matter if the farmer got impatient? How, what difference could he make if he gets impatient? The corn's not ready, so nothing you can do about it. It's got to rain, it's got to grow, it's got to rain, it's got to put fruit. Then you get a harvest. There is nothing we can do about it in the middle except be patient. And that doesn't mean, I can't, I just can't do anything about it. No, that's not what it means. Let me find this. Where is it? Ah, where is my note on that? Because it was really good. <laughs> In my humble opinion. <laughs> Oh, where is it? I'll find it in a minute. No, I've got to find it. Hold on. Here it is. I wrote... How much more are we prone to grumbling during the long-term waiting of the Christian life? Long-term waiting. We don't grumble when we're not waiting on something. We, and we, sadly, we don't even necessarily rejoice like we should. Being patient in the manner called for here is not just a matter of waiting it out. And this is a quote. It calls for humble acquiescence in the wisdom and will of God. Humbly give in and say that your will be done. Acquiesce to God's will and his plan and his wisdom. And be settled, not grumbling. Verse 8, you also be, <clears throat> you also be patient and strengthen your hearts for the Lord's return is near. And nine, do not grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, so that you may not be judged. See, the judge stands before the gate. He's at the door. Do not grumble against one another. But why would we do that? If we're just acquiesced to God's wisdom and will, we wouldn't. But we do grumble against one another as we wait, because we are an impatient bunch of people. And then when we are having to wait in line, let's just look at something natural. Are you happy about it when you get somewhere, like going to pick up food at the drive-thru, 
and there are five cars in front of you. Are you happy about waiting? No, we're not. Some of us are better at doing it, you know, without getting too mad and honking a horn or whatever. But uh, I was even I was even in the Target HEB parking lot yesterday. That's that's a crazy parking lot, especially around Chick Fil A. It gets crazy. So I am sitting behind Chick-fil-A trying to turn toward the light by Chick-fil-A, okay? And I've got to turn and get in the left-hand lane because I need to go left on 42nd, all right? So it's backed up all the way to where I am. I can't turn yet to get where I need to go. There's like three cars behind me, and I think about the third car behind me starts honking. Not patient. It's like... Like the farmer and, the, and doing something about it. There's nothing I can do about this. Really, take a look. <laughs> I'm thinking, he, he thinks, then turn left or do something. No, I want to turn right and that's where I'm going. I'm going to wait. I'm going to be patient. I'm not going to push in and holler and, and honk. But he is. Oh, surely he's a unique specimen. When we have to wait, we grumble, and then we grumble, and then we grumble. (laughs) It's even worse when you choose a line to get in, thinking it's the fastest moving (laughs) one, and it's not. Yeah. Yeah. No, you can be mad at the checker. Come on! You know, she's faster than you are. Come on. Anyway. <laughs> now, this has nothing to do with this, but I'll tell you. Pulled up to the uh, uh, oil change place on 42nd Grand View. Now it's Valvoline. It used to be Avis Lube. Anyway, I pull up there and I think, wow, this is amazing. Everywhere I'd gone, the lines were long. I mean, traffic was crazy on a Saturday. Now, don't go to Odessa on Saturday. We don't normally do that, but we did this week. Now we remember why we don't do that. It's crazy. So I pull up, and there's uh, nobody in this lane, inside the building for an oil change. Nobody. And then there's one car here in in there doing work. And then there's a car in this one getting worked on, and then there's a truck behind them. I'm kind of wondering why that truck hasn't moved already, but I just pull up where there's no car. Wouldn't you? Guy walks over to the truck. The guy that works there walks to the truck and he comes to me. Sir, I'm sorry, could you back up and let him in since he was here first? Okay. He said, just pull in behind him because he just didn't get an inspection. It'll be faster than the rest. So just pull in behind him. Okay. I back up. He pulls in. I pull in. A few minutes later, the guy comes back. Sir, would you move over to the other lane because I think they'll be done first. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So I get over there. And then, anyway... He knows people want to be in the fastest lane. He knows that. He was trying to make it work, and he did. It was fine. Got through pretty fast. But we're not happy when we have to wait. That's just human nature. But it is not human nature we ought to depend on. Verse 10, as an example of suffering and patience, brothers and sisters, take the prophets who spoke in the Lord's name. 
Think of how we regard as blessed those who have endured. You have heard of Job's endurance, and you have seen the Lord's purpose, that the Lord is full of compassion and mercy. So we are given these Old Testament examples of those who have endured and been blessed by God so that we see what lies ahead. Because what lies before us many times, right in front of us, is hard. But you, you want to you know, make yourself feel better about what lies before you, read Job. Just the very first part of Job about boom, 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 he lost everything in a day. Gone. Nobody in here has been that way. Nobody. So you want to compare? <laughs> You're not supposed to compare, but use that as an example of encouraging yourself by the Word of God. What ended up happening to Job? He got everything back and more. I always kind of wonder, well, you know, if you lose children and stuff, you don't get those children back. But, you know, the whole point is... God taught him what he needed to teach him and then raised him up. Let me slow down just a second. Hold on. All right. Verse 12. And above all, my, above all, above all, that's interesting. When you see what comes after, brothers and sisters, do not swear. This isn't talking about profanity. It's talking about, you know, like, I swear that this is true. Either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no so that you may not fall into judgment. Where did that come from? Where did that instruction come from? The Sermon on the Mount. Same message. I should not have to put my hand on a Bible or any other way to make it clear that what I say is the truth. As a Christian, everything I say should be the truth. Lying is not part of our repertoire as true Christians. And swearing that we're not lying is ridiculous. By the way, if you're lying... And you swear that you're lying, uh, that you're not lying, you're still lying. Right? So liars still swear they're telling the truth. So what does the swearing change? It changes what we're required to believe legally or whatever. Wow, what a messed up idea. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. If you say I'm going to do it, you're going to do it. If you say you're not going to do it, you're not going to do it. By the way, that's one of the most important things as a parent to build into how you discipline, train, and deal with your children. Because if children, by the way, we are children of God. If your children don't believe your yes and they don't believe your no because you've demonstrated it's not necessarily that way, they will use that knowledge against you. And it's not just children. It's your coworker, your boss, your underling, whoever. 
we always have these opportunities to let our yes be yes and our no be no. Sounds simple. It is. It is. And he said, above all. Wow. Must be pretty important. Let's talk about prayer now. Verse 13. This section covers three types of prayer. First of all, praying for yourself. Secondly, having the elders pray over you. And thirdly, praying for each other. Pray, pray, pray. By the way, earlier he said, uh, well, let's just say 13. Is anyone among you suffering? He should pray. That sounds pretty simple. How often do you think, why didn't I already pray about this? Man, I know everybody's done that. You're in the midst of something and you realize, I haven't even prayed about it. I'm hurting and I need help and I haven't even prayed. The one that I know can do something about this crop not coming up, whatever, you know, that he is the one that can intervene and have, make a difference and I haven't even checked in with him. I've just grumbled and complained. So he says, are you suffering? Pray. That means pray for yourself. It's okay to pray for yourself. In fact, we ought to do that a lot because we all have plenty to pray about. But here, is anyone in good spirits? Are you happy? Then praise the Lord. Too often, I think, we just disconnect. It's like if we get satisfied, remember the satisfied people? If we get satisfied, we lay down our guard, we lay down our responsibilities to acknowledge where the satisfaction came from. Who fed us? The hand of God. But we got satisfied. And we forget him. That's what it said. Hosea. In verse 14, this is pretty important stuff. Is anyone among you ill, sick, have, have disease? He should summon the elders of the church, and they should pray for him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up, and if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Now, we do practice this in this fellowship. We've practiced it for years and years, ever since I've known anything about this place. But we've practiced it in different ways. I personally have, and I'll just confess my, my lack of understanding and error, because many, many times early on as an elder, I would be in my mind and in my heart saying, I'm doing this, I would say to God, I'm doing this in obedience to your word, Father. That sounds okay, right? In obedience to your word. They've called on the elders, I'm going to pray. But it says the prayer of faith will have that effect. Just saying, I know what the word says about this, doesn't necessarily say I had faith in doing it. I'm sorry. I've asked forgiveness for that. But I'll tell you, it's, it's not just me. <laughs> Anytime someone prays without faith, it's an issue. But when elders are called to pray, they don't all of a sudden all get full of faith and pray that prayer of faith that miraculously brings healing. I'm sorry, they don't. 
but they can. In 1 Corinthians 12, we're talking about, he mentions the manifestations of the Spirit. One of them is the manifestation of faith. Another is manifestation of gifts of healing. I think they're pretty closely tied. But mainly for the elders to pray over. First, it takes faith for the person to call the elders. That's the first step of faith. And that's required. It's required for this set of instructions. Have faith in the Word. Have faith in God that He says, call on the elders. I have faith that this is what I should do. I have faith in the one who says it. That's the end of that side of the faith. And then the other side is the elders should come and pray in faith. And let me tell you, I believe there are times when that gift, that manifestation of gifts of healing and gift of faith shows up in the eldership, or maybe even just one of them, and the healing happens. Long, long ago, my father-in-law was an elder in this church, back, back before it was at all charismatic. I mean, they, uh, they had guards at the door for charismatic stuff. You know, not going to let that stuff in. But a man whose family was uh, attended here, I don't think he necessarily attended much, but a man whose wife and family attended, he was a believer, was severely injured in the oil field. He was closing a valve or opening a valve one another, leaning over it, and the valve stem came out and went through his head. He was in the hospital, unconscious. He's going to die. That's what they said. The elders went. The elders from this place, back when it was Crane Christian Church, they went, and my father-in-law was among them. And my father-in-law never had any other report like this in all that I ever talked about him, uh, talked with him about church. He said, we, we were praying for Kendall. And something happened in that room. This is my father-in-law who was non-charismatic, very un-feel-good kind of Christian guy. You know, he's all about straight-laced, you know, do it right. But they followed the word. They were called to come and pray. By the way, Kendall was unconscious. His wife called him to come and pray in faith. They prayed, and somebody, at least somebody in that room, went in faith and prayed, and something changed in that room. He said, you could feel it. Kendall lived and was faithful for years and years in the church. Those things happen. Truly overwhelming, miraculous things, but also even the smaller things. Seemingly smaller things. How can any miracle of God be small? So, you've seen me and Arthur anoint and pray. And we do it in faith. After the call has been made in faith. And we'll always do that. We will continue. Whether we see evidence of great miraculous things happen in front of us doesn't matter. We will do it in faith. And God will be faithful as he is faithful. 
15, it says, And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, will raise him up. The Lord will raise him up. And if he has, if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. I think that if he has committed sins says the sickness is not necessarily tied to any sin. But hey, little, little bonus on the side, you're going to get healed and forgiven because you had faith to call on the elders and depend on God for your healing. While you're here, <laughs> you'll be forgiven. Interesting stuff. In 16, so confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great effectiveness. King James, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. That's what I have on the marquee this week. That's a lot of letters on that marquee. It's like, oh, how's it going to (laughs) fit? I had to find the right version that would fit on the marquee because I wanted it up there. Because this is all about prayer. All about prayer. And we've got to understand the importance of it in everything. Pray, 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 and don't grumble, grumble, grumble. Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. Now, that doesn't mean you've got to come and tell me everything you ever did wrong. But if something is weighing on your heart, sharing it with a brother or sister and asking for their prayer is really, really vital and important in your being released from it and having someone come alongside. How can you get somebody to come alongside if they don't know you need help? They, you're, they don't know you're struggling. They think, oh, well, so-and-so, they're, they're, they're such a strong Christian and such, you know, so founded in the Word. Well, even the strongest Christian among us struggles at times and loses faith in some area. We all sin and fall short. And if we will just find a brother or a sister and say, I need some help, confess our sins, and then pray for one another, not gossip about one another, the prayer of a righteous person has great effectiveness. It's not a waste of time. So then he uses Elijah in verse 17. Elijah as an example of that. What prayer can do. I believe that's the whole purpose of sticking this in here. Elijah was a human being just like us. Do you know the story of Elijah? If you don't, go back to 1 Kings and read, starting in 17. Read Elijah. It's not very long. It's crazy, crazy stuff. I mean, he did some amazing things. And in the midst of it, ran from a woman because he was scared. After he had demonstrated the power of God calling on fire from heaven and it comes down, next thing you know, he's hiding in the bushes because some woman said she's going to kill him. Go read the story in 1 Kings. Crazy. But what does it say? Talking about prayer, he prayed that it wouldn't rain. Actually, God said, go tell Ahab it's not going to rain. And he did, and it didn't rain for three and a half years. Then he goes back and he says, now... I'm going to demonstrate the power of God. And he did. Fire from heaven comes down. They kill all the priests of Baal. And then the rain came because Elijah commanded it. And this says Elijah was a human being. Elijah was a man. And it says in King King James, subject to like passions as we are. And he prayed earnestly. 
And it just talked to us about praying. So take this example. That phrase, Elijah was a man just like you, changed my heart in a very, very serious, very important uh, uh, time of my life back in the 90s. And I was just walking down the street one day considering something that was going on in my spiritual walk concerning a man that I you know, had a spiritual relationship with. And God reminded me of this. Elijah was a human being just like you, or a man just like you. And then he named that other man. He's a man just like you. You're a man just like him. That's basically the story, the way it affected me. Don't put people on pedestals and think, oh, we could never be like that. Even Elijah, we can pray like Elijah. Elijah prayed fire down from heaven. And he says, Elijah and, uh, and we are, very, are the same. We can pray earnestly just like he did. And if you go back and read First Kings again and just remind yourself of Elijah's exploits and, and miracles that he performed and how God provided for him in the midst of it, even when he ran from the, from the lady that was going to kill him, God still provided for him. In 18, then he prayed again, and the sky gave rain, and the land sprouted with a harvest. I wrote that Elijah was not a perfect man, just a man dependent on God. (laughs) I don't know where I read. I think I read this even today, this little meme thing. And it just caused me to think about this praying in faith. In the middle of a drought, and the town comes together to pray for rain, and nobody shows up with an umbrella. (laughs) Or maybe the one guy does. One guy shows up with an umbrella. Who has faith? Who's going to be praying in faith? Nineteen, my brothers and sisters, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, he should know that the one who turns a sinner back from his wandering path will save that person's soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. There's lots of ways to interpret that cover a multitude of sins, but just imagine if someone wanders and wanders away so much that he just enters into a life of sin. If you have if you go and draw him back, bring him back into the fold, all the sins that he would have committed aren't. That's one way of looking at it. But the Word says in 1 Peter 4, 8, love covers a multitude of sins. The only reason you go after somebody that's wandered away is through love for that brother or sister. And that love is what covers the sins. The love of God through his children for each other. Do you know somebody has wandered away? Right now, I believe the Holy Spirit is going to prompt you 
to remember somebody like that. And you'll have opportunity to bring them back. Turn him or her back. Um, you know, the, the, you know, many times you see the teaching and hear, you know, that uh, the shepherd leaves the 99 and goes for the one that's wandered away. It's not just the shepherd in this case. It's not just the shepherd. Even though that makes sense that the shepherd would do that, that meaning, you know, like the elders in the church see somebody not showing up, they go check them out. But this says, brothers and sisters, do this. Sheep, looking for sheep. Okay. Sheep follow each other. You know, I don't know if you know that, but they do. Good and bad, they follow each other. So you might have opportunity to go lead another sheep back to the fold. you have anything? That's all I have for today. Weebles wobble, but they don't fall down. James 5 has a tremendous amount of self-application. Places where you can make a decision. While we were reading through it and while he was preaching, there's places where I hope the Holy Spirit convicted you. And you said, I need to change this or I need to change that or I need to look toward that. You know, not, not out of guilt, but conviction. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Okay? So this particular scripture that he talks about, call the elders and a prayer uh, by faith will heal. So I believe we need to act on that. It's preached. It's read. We've heard it in our ears. So what should arise now? Faith. So I'm going to take the opportunity that if there's anyone here that would like prayer, uh, Jimmy and I will anoint you with oil and we will pray over you, believing, pray believing that you will be healed. So all I'm doing is putting feet to the word and If that's something you would like to do, then step up. We got the oil ready to go.